to 70 AD tonight. Are you excited? Yes. Do you bring your Bible? Yes. I'm really going to give you some teaching tonight. This is not going to be one of them preaching services, although I'm open to the Holy Ghost if he wants to do that. We'll try our best, but Pastor Reed said teach. I said I'm going to teach, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. We're going to get into it tonight. I'm in fast-track professor scholar mode, okay? Amen. I'm in scholar mode tonight. You know, do you have, uh, you have your iPod and you have i, what is it, i-university. This is i-university, amen. You know, I'm going to talk to you tonight about the fabric of faithfulness. You know, many times, many times people think that what God is looking for is for these powerful spiritual gifts that God's going to judge you based upon your works, based upon your actions, based upon what you do for the kingdom. But did you know the thing that God is going to look and give you reward on is based upon your fabric. Touch a neighbor and say, your fabric. It's what are you made out of? What's your inner core? God cares about what your inner core is and what everybody in this church combined, if you take your fabric and this person's fabric and the person's next to you fabric and you put it all together, you're going to discover what the fabric of the river is. Amen. And you're going to need good fabric because you're going into a building project. You're going to need people that are faithful to come knock down walls. You're going to need people that are faithful to come paint, to help out with the bathrooms, do whatever is needed to do. You're about to get another whole system because you're going to have a building and you're going to have to tend to it and the pastor can't do it himself. So you ask God for this building and God gives you a building and then all of a sudden the building, the maintenance goes down and you say, why is the building you know, not being taken care of? Because you prayed for it, but you didn't want to take care of it. You ask God for something, and then God gives it to you, and He says, here He is, this is what you believe in by faith. But anything you receive by faith, you have to maintain it. And in order to maintain it, the people of the living God have to have a good fabric about them. Someone say, I have a good fabric. Did you know the Apostle Paul would not take anybody with him on a missionary journey that he did not think had good fabric about them? There were people that had spiritual gifts, there were people that could prophesy, but there were people that Paul passed over because he saw in that person, you don't have what it takes to come with me because the going is going to get tough, it's going to be difficult, there's going to be times where you're going to want to turn and go the other way, and if you don't have what it takes, you're not coming with me. How many of you are going to go into the building project with the right fabric? 1 Timothy 1.12, it says, now I'm going quick, I'm not going to wait for you to get this, so you might be better off writing it down than trying to keep up with me. Amen. Amen. Am I going quick tonight? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Paul put, write this down if you're taking notes tonight, Paul put an emphasis on faithfulness. And that is because faithfulness proves the condition of the heart. Now watch this. God proved Paul by faithfulness. When God was looking for somebody that would preach his gospel, God chose Paul and God revealed to Paul. He said, Paul, the reason I'm picking you is because I know that after I put my anointing on you, you're going to remain faithful to the day. And you see that in 2 Timothy, that when Paul is in the prison in Rome in his second imprisonment, that he's waiting for the henchmen to come cut his head off. And the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to them that believe. For me and the Jew first, he's still giving his... his Everything that he said in Romans, it is testimony, and he's remained faithful, and God said, this is why I picked you, Paul, because you're faithful. So you know what Paul said? If God values faithfulness, guess what? I value faithfulness as well. So I'm going to look for faithfulness. Now, this was something that Paul looked for in every single person. Go with me to Acts 21, verse 8. Can you keep up with me tonight? God, so much, so much. 21, verse 8. Now, this is where we're going to go back. Someone say, 
we're going to turn back time. Someone say, we're going back. In time. It says in Acts 21.8, And the next day, they that were of Paul's company. Someone say Paul's company. You know, there are many unsung heroes in the gospel. We think that the Apostle Paul was the only hero. Well, Paul had a company. Now, the Greek word is ton peri polon. This is not the word company. If you try and look it up in the Greek, you're not going to find it because it's not there. The Greek word is a preposition. This is the word peri. Peri means roundabout. So this is basically saying in street slang the people that Paul brought around him. It's the people that Paul hung out with. It's the people that Paul let in the inner circle. You know you have people that you're Facebook friends with. You have people that you'll go out to dinner with. But you're not going to bring everybody into your home and begin to open up with people everything about your life. And let me tell you something. Everybody in churches many times, they want to get around the pastor. They say, I want to be around the pastor. I want to be in the pastor's inner circle. I want the pastor to recognize me. Over here, Pastor Reed. Over here, Pastor Reed. You know what, uh, what Pastor Reed is going to be saying? He's saying, what is your fabric made out of because if you want to be peery around about me you are going to have to have the right fabric you say why isn't the pastor he you know he, he prays for me but he never lets me do nothing it's because he doesn't see the right fabric in you yet and he wants it to develop but i got spiritual gifts but what's your fabric look like you know, but I, I can pray for people. Look, at, I went on the street and did evangelistic ministry the other day. And the power of God was hitting people. Why doesn't pastor look at me? Because he wants to know if you're going to be faithful to him when times get tough. Come on, Come on up. Come on up. So these are people that were proven. I look at people and I say, before I choose you for something, I need to know your heart towards me because it's not going to be an easy journey. Torn Perry Paulon is another way of saying these are the people that have Paul's DNA. So you know what you don't know what Pastor's doing, but he's saying, I want to look if people have my DNA. And DNA doesn't mean you act like that person. It means you walk in that person's spirit. It means you're like that person whether you're with them or you're not with them. Amen. And you will be faithful to someone that you have the same DNA with because if you two have the same DNA, guess what that makes you? Family. Okay, so this is Paul's apostolic ban. Paul put an emphasis on faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Okay, so where do these people come from? Where do people in Paul's ban come from? Many churches, write this down, go with me in Acts 19.10. Okay, okay, are we excited tonight? Amen. Touch your neighbor and say faithfulness. faithfulness. Say, I'll be faithful. Where these people come from. Many churches and followers of the Apostle Paul were birthed out of something called the School of Tyrannus. How many have heard of the School of Tyrannus? In the scripture? Nobody's heard of it? One of the greatest evangelistic outreaches of the Apostle Paul, actually probably one of the greatest evangelistic campaigns ever in the history of the early church happened in Ephesus. And this happened at the School of Tyrannus. The School of Tyrannus, Tyrannus was a convert of the Apostle Paul because it was his school. And he had a school where he taught philosophy. And, you know, theologians say that he would have had to have been a convert of Paul if he opened up his school for two years and allowed the Apostle Paul to come into his school and teach. 
So this guy gets saved and he says, Paul, this is what I want you to do. I have been teaching philosophy, but I found a more powerful theology now that you come along and I want you to teach people what you've been teaching about Christ. And so Paul said, okay. So for two years, Paul would go into the school of Tyrannus and he would begin to teach people about the mystery of Christ. And people were coming and they were getting born again. And out of the school of Tyrannus, listed in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, came what you saw, most of the evangelistic efforts that happened in all of Asia Minor. Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. That's where all the seven churches that you see in the book of Revelation are listed. So when you see Paul setting up his letters, Philippians, Colossians, Galatians, many of these churches the Apostle Paul never had the opportunity to visit. We think that Paul did all the work himself, but he didn't. Paul would only go to the school of Tyrannus and people were coming from all over Asia Minor hearing the gospel and taking the gospel back to where they were from and setting up churches. See, we think many times that Timothy was a pastor. How many heard Timothy's a pastor? He wasn't a pastor. He was an apostolic delegate. When Paul would send him to a church, he would say, set up the church. You're an apostolic delegate. You do everything I tell you to do and then come back here. You're just the interim guy. You're under my jurisdiction. You're not supposed to be a pastor. You're just an apostolic delegate to tend to the churches and you're supposed to walk in what I'm walking in, Timothy. And you can't be an apostolic delegate of me unless you have my fabric and you're not going to have my fabric unless you hang out with me long enough and are proven in the same difficulties and you're willing to share in the same sufferings that I shared in. And if you can share in my sufferings, then you can represent me the way I would represent myself. So we think, oh, I got spiritual gifts. Now pastor's going to recognize me. No, he wants to see, do you have what I have on the inside of me? You know what the Lord told me today? He says, you want people to respect you? I said, yeah, God, I want people to respect me. You know what he said? Then they got to see you bleed with them. You know why many times pastors get put in positions that God never called them to do and then they get disrespected? It's because they didn't bleed with the people. And because you didn't bleed with us, because we didn't see you go down in the trenches with us, I can't respect you. Because you want me to be faithful to you, but have you been faithful to me? You're going to come in here and just start running the ship the way you want to run the ship, but you haven't been faithful? So you see what Paul put an emphasis on. Okay, so go with me to Colossians chapter 4 verse 16. I'm going to talk about the first unsung hero. Write this down and say Archippus. How many of you have ever heard that name before? Most people say, huh? Archippus. That's some kind of chip you buy at the store? Archippus. Paul always remembered faithfulness in people and he never forgot it. Write this down. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, Peter talks about Silvanus, who was faithful. Someone say Silvanus. Silvanus. Peter mentions Silvanus and he calls him faithful. Do you know who Silvanus was? That was Silas. We all know Silas, right? Not only did Paul know Silas, Paul and Silas traveled together, but Peter found out about him and he said, you know what I know about Silvanus? He's faithful. Mm -hmm. Then you see Tychicus in Colossians 4 verse 7. I won't talk about him tonight, but he was mentioned as faithful. Then you see Onesimus in Colossians 4 verse 9. And then you see Timothy... In Acts chapter 16, verse 3, well reported and all of them were considered faithful. Paul didn't say, oh, I know that Onemius. He has those powerful spiritual gifts. He didn't say, oh, I know all about Tychicus. Man, he can prophesy and give words of knowledge throughout the line. That's not what he said. He said they were faithful to me. That's what he remembered when he was about to get his head chopped off. The people that were faithful to me. So the very first person that we see that I've picked to talk about tonight is Archippus. And I'm going to call him the faithful letter reader. 
You know what? Many people want to do something big for God, but very few people want to do what God actually called them to do. They say, God, I want to do something big for you. And God says, open the door for people in the church. He said, I don't want to do that. But God, I'll go to Korea. I'll, you know what? I'm going to go to North Korea. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to North Korea. I'm going to raise $10,000 to do it. And I'm going to go there like the James Bond missionary evangelist, sneak my way in there and start telling people about you, Jesus. And God says, but I just want you to open the door for people. No, I don't want to do that, God. You know what that tells God? Your motive is wrong. Because you want some type of big reward to be recognized. And God's saying, you'll get a bigger reward if you just do what I tell you to do. You know, many people come up to me and pastor will tell you the same thing. They say, oh, I see you teaching. I want to do that. Why do you want to do that? Because I got a word in due season. You have a word, so automatically you want a ministry the same way your pastor has a ministry? You can't have that. You haven't been through the same testing year after year. The clock has not ticked for you the same way it's been ticking for your pastor. You haven't had 21 years of going through the ups and the downs and the pain. You want a ministry like that? Then let the clock tick the way it ticked for your pastor. Amen. 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 So say faithful. Your heart should be, God, I want to be faithful. If you tell me to open up the door, I'm going to get in there and open up the door. You know why? Because that's what Paul's apostolic band was doing. Yes, many of them set up churches. Yes, legend tells you that many of them went to India. You know, you see, uh, uh, you, you see uh, what's his name, uh, in Dalmatia preaching, these guys went different places. But, you'll find out. Titus went to Dalmatia, that's where he ended up preaching. And it's modern day Croatia, set up churches. At, but they first started by doing stuff small. And the first person I want to talk to you about is Archippus. Now let me tell you this. I'll give you something you didn't know. Paul had a first imprisonment in Acts chapter 28. This was his very first imprisonment. After he was, you know, he went to Jerusalem, he was bound and tied, then he was in prison in Caesarea for two years. After he was in Caesarea for two years, then he was taken to Rome where he was on house arrest for two years. And this is where the book of Acts ends. And the Bible says that while he was in house arrest, he was there for two years. And he had certain comforts and certain privileges that made his incarceration as a prisoner easy. And one of those privileges was that he was allowed to receive people into his home free of restriction. So there were people that admired Paul from a distance. They said, wow, that's the Apostle Paul. I want to get close to him. And they started coming to him. And many of those people, Paul said, began to refresh me. And one of these people, we're going to see in just a second, that he wrote about, his name was Archippus. Now he wrote four letters from this prison. He wrote Philippians. He wrote Colossians. He wrote Philemon. And he wrote Ephesians. These are known as the prison epistles. What most people don't know is very interesting is that Colossians and Philemon are twin letters. They went to the same place at the same time and they were addressed to the exact same people. Colossians was a letter that was supposed to be read aloud in all the churches. Philemon was only supposed to be given to the house of Philemon. And why is that? Because when Paul was in prison, he met somebody very special. And his name was Onimius. Onimius was a prisoner. He was a runaway. He said, I hate my master. I can't stand him. I'm over there in Asia Minor. He doesn't care about me. I'm going to go all the way over there to Rome, blend in with the crowd. I stole some money from him. I'm going to go in here and try and blend in. And somewhere along the line, he got caught and ended up in a jail cell next to the greatest apostle that ever walked, and his name was Paul. And Paul got Onemius born again, saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And when it was time for Onemius to go back to Colossus, Paul said, Don't go! Because I like your fabric. You're profitable to me and my ministry. But law said he had to go home. So you know what Paul said to him? He said, I'm going to tell you what. 
I'm going to do something for you that nobody has ever done for you. Onimius. What are you going to do for me, Paul? He said, I'm going to give you your very first letter of recommendation. He said, well, my boss won't give me a letter of recommendation at work because he doesn't like your fabric, because you haven't proved to your boss that you're fit. Well, I'm leaving this job. I'm, just, I'm, I'm walking out of here and I'm quitting. And man, he can kiss my butt. Bad fabric. I can't believe he said that. Yo, I see how you talk on Facebook. Don't act like I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, the person that started the church at, Gal- at Coloss, he was in the slam with Paul too. His name was Epaphras. Epaphras had come to the school of Tyrannus. And he said, wow, this is Paul. Oh my God, I'm going to Coloss and I'm going to set up a church. And he started setting up the church. And so there was warm communication that theologians believe that went back and forth between Paul and Epaphras. And so when Epaphras found out that Paul was in the slammer, Epaphras says, I need to go find him. Because something terrible was going on in the church at Coloss. I'm not talking about a small issue. Now let me say this. Sometimes in the church there are big issues and sometimes there are small issues. And your pastor is trying to set up a leadership where you can resolve the small issues without having to pull him out of the prayer closet. Right, right. Pastor, uh, uh, you know what they said to me on Facebook? Now, I don't have time for that. I'm trying to hear the word of God so that I can bring to you an anointed word so we can continue to grow this apostolic house. Are you hearing me? But you're too bad telling the pastor that so-and-so stuck their tongue at you. You're supposed to. And if it's an issue, settle it amongst yourselves. But the leadership should be able to say, if there's a major issue, let's take it to pastor. And there was a major issue that started happening. The pastor said, this issue is so bad. It's so terrible. I got to travel thousands of miles find Paul in Rome and put myself up as a possible prisoner just to get an answer about what he wants me to do with this issue. If you know what this problem was? There was a major heresy going on in the church at Colossus. And here's the thing about Epaphras. Epaphras didn't send a representative because Paul said, Epaphras, who is one of you? This in the Greek is a very significant statement because it is saying that he has bled amongst you. He was the one that when he decided to set up a church at Colossus, he got in a prayer closet and started changing the atmospheres and praying against the principalities and powers. He's the one that took the shovel and dug the very first hall in Colossus and started building the guts of the church. He's the one that found people and said, let's meet in your house. Let's meet in your house. Let's get down there together. And when he saw that there was heresy, he said, I'm going to deal with it myself. I'm going to find Paul. So he gets to Rome and he finds Paul. And guess what they do to Epaphras? They throw him in prison. You know why? Because when you are with, when you're a companion of the evildoer, they call you the evildoer. But he didn't care. So he got next to Paul in prison. Now he's a prisoner with Paul. So Paul says, well, let's write a letter. Let's give it to Tychicus and let's give it to Onemius and let's send them back to the church of Colossus and let's have them read it to the church. But Epaphras, he had to designate somebody to run the church at Colossus. And the church at Colossus was meeting in a house. Now people say, well, let's go back to house churches. You know why they went back to house churches? Because they didn't have property Christians because they were so poor. It was the poor man's religion. They didn't have property until the third century. 
So they had to be in houses. They didn't have no choice. But let me tell you something. The minute they got money, they weren't staying in houses long enough. But I'll tell you something else. Even though they were in church in houses, they still had apostolic governance. They weren't just house churches meeting, just praising God, acting like the more you know, uh, crazy they get, the more spiritual they become. They had rules and they had order. People that like they don't read it early church history. They don't know what's going on. All right. All Are you learning something tonight? Yes. Amen. All right now. And so they said, okay, let's appoint somebody. So you know what they said? Well, we meet. They meet in Philemon's house. But just because it's Philemon's house doesn't mean that he gets to pass to the church. We're going to have to put it in good hands. There was one anointed that was to do it. And his name was Archippus. Mm-hmm. Go with me to Colossians chapter 4. I'll show you. Are you learning something tonight? Amen. Someone say, I'm going to be faithful. Boy, isn't, isn't it exciting to see all this in the Bible? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there. Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Well, let's go here to, uh, let's just read the whole thing. Colossians chapter 4, 13. Well, let's see, which one? Which, okay, verse 16. And when this epistle was read among you, cause it also to be read in the church of Laodicea, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So there's an epistle of Paul we don't even have. Says the epistles of Laodicea, we don't have that letter. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Now this is the interesting thing. So they say to, so Paul says to Onemius, you and Tychicus have to go back, and you have to send the church at Colossus greetings for me and the other people that were with them. And we're going to talk about Demas in just a second. We're going to talk about uh, Luke, the beloved physician, was there, and Titus was also there, mingling among them. This is his apostolic band. They're all there. It's like the, you know, it's like the temptations are all hanging out together, right? <laughs> So, take a kiss and Onemius, go with the letter. And Onemius is scared. He says, oh, you know, I'm scared. I don't know what my master's going to say. But he has a letter from Paul. He's going to say, this is what Paul thought of me. This is what Paul thought of me. So Paul gave very specific instructions. And he said that when you get this letter, say to Archippus, read this letter. Now, the Greek language when it says, cause this letter to be read among you, if you go to Philemon, you will see that it does not say that. Because the letter to Philemon was not supposed to be read to everybody. You know, there's certain business you're not supposed to tell the whole church. I was trying to explain to someone the other day. Just because you have a problem doesn't mean the whole church has to find out. Just because your brother has a problem doesn't mean you take it to the prayer meeting and say, let's pray for brother so-and-so, because you're now gossiping through your intercession. There's only certain things. There's only certain things. There's only certain issues in the church that if you want it to be prayed for, you need to give it to the governing body of elders because they're not going to tell your business. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, don't read it, let me read it. It says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto the holy brethren. Anytime Paul wrote a letter to the church, he used very strong language by saying, I charge you, you must, you must read this letter to the church. And this is what he said in Colossians. Why? Because inside of this letter is the ingredients. It is the antidote, the potion. It is the inoculation against this heresy. And it's so important that I'm going to elect somebody to read this letter. And that's Archippus because there's an anointing that's on him that when he stands and reads this letter, it's going to pull them out of the heresy and it's going to cause this thing to be eradicated from the church. Don't let anybody else read it. Let Archippus read it. Very specific. 
That's why Paul says, Archippus, take heed to the ministry that you have received and fulfill it. Hallelujah. What ministry is that? Coming with Paul to set up churches? No. Going around and getting... No. Reading a four-chapter letter. And then going to the Laodiceans and delivering that letter to the Laodiceans. And then getting the letter from the Laodiceans and bringing it back and reading that to them because they were going through the same issue that they were going through. It was a heresy, a heresy that was Jewish and Gnostic all at the same time. They were worshiping angels. They were trying to appease angels by living holy lifestyles. And this was taking them back into Judaism and it was causing them to observe dates calendars, rituals, and rites. And Paul said, this is against Christ because if you start saying that you have to do all this, what's that say about the blood of Jesus? That's right. That's right. What's that say about a sacrifice? Is it not a finished work? Is it a finished work or is it not a finished work? And if you're saying it's not a finished work, then what Christ are we waiting for to come? So if you're waiting for something, then how can you look to the day? And if you're not looking to the day, then what are you going to begin to do with your lifestyle if you're not living in fear of His coming? And guess what? Archippus had a ministry. You know what Archippus didn't say? Oh, man, I don't want to read this letter. This letter? I don't want to read this letter. I've been reading this letter so many times now. I've done read this letter a hundred times. I've got to read it again. Keep reading it. 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 Until you see that heresy that's gone. And so when your pastor says to you, I want you to work the book table. Work the seat. We have a guest coming. I want you to do the hospitality ministry. There's something very important in that. Because you were elected to do that. And it's not about what you're doing. It's about what you're doing with the heart that you're doing it. Hallelujah. And you will be promoted when God sees that you have the right fabric. Amen? Okay, okay, okay. You ready for the next one? Go with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. I want to talk to you about Titus. Someone say Titus. What do we know about Titus? The very first thing that we see about Titus as we see him introduced in Galatians, excuse me, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, I was talking to someone and I said, well, you know, there's some interesting things about Titus in the Bible. This is so I need to go to Titus. I said, no, you're not going to find it in Titus. <laughs> Titus wasn't all about Titus. Titus was about encouragement to a pastor that was pastoring in Crete. You got a dig for this. Someone says, so I should go to Titus. Says, no, no, you need to read like the, the parts of the Bible. You know, you're doing your morning devotions. You get to the part where they start naming all the names and you just close the Bible. You're done. You're off the door. <laughs> no coffee stains on that part. No ink on that part. It's like you haven't even touched that part of the Bible. But if you're going to do historical research and you need to dig this stuff out, here's where you're going to put the pieces together right here. You're going to find, who is this letter to? Who is it? <laughs> it's exactly right. You know, we should use our brains as Christians sometimes too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're getting up there preaching all this stuff, and you that doesn't make sense. I, wait, wait, I, I, use your brain. And you know, the more you start digging, the more you'll get to dig, and the yeah. more you get to digging, the more you'll love to dig. Yeah. People say, I don't like to study the Bible. You know what they tell me right there? There's people that say, I don't like to study. I ain't got time to study. You know what that tells me? You don't do any studying. Mm-hmm. Like none. Like, you do one maybe once every three months. You say, I got to study the Bible today. But the more you, people that like to study are people that study. People that like to exercise, you know, they're the ones that are always in the gym exercising. People that like to pray, they're always praying. Right? People that like to eat unhealthy, guess what? They always eat unhealthy. Okay. So Titus was a Gentile. 
Do you mind if I read from my notes real quick? He was a Gentile. He was tried by the leaders at Jerusalem and acquitted. And you know, one thing that's interesting about Titus, it says in Titus chapter 2 and verse number 3 that you know, he was a Gentile. And uh, Timothy, because he was a half-Jew, they decided it would be best to circumcise him so the Jews wouldn't complain and get upset. But Titus was a Gentile, and they brought him under scrutiny, and it says that he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. You know what I said? Me neither. <laughs> Not at that age. <laughs> so, uh, but he at least went under scrutiny. And so, something very interesting happened. So let's go here to... Um, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's go here. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to find out about what this Titus did. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now something very interesting happened. Paul had, though he didn't start the church at Colossus, he started the church in Corinth. And so when Paul talked to the church at Corinth in his first letter, it was a very harsh letter. Have you ever noticed that when you read Corinthians, you're like, wow. When you see that chapter 4 is he's making fun of them. You know, he's using irony when he talks. It's sarcasm. And when Paul wrote uh, 1 Corinthians, look what he says about this. Because in 2 Corinthians, he actually talks about his first letter to the Corinthians. He actually makes mention of that letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says in verse number 1, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry... Who is he then that makes me glad, but the same what made you sorry? In other words, he's saying that I made you sorry, and nobody else can make me glad except for the same person that made you sorry, and that's me. So I'm the one that made you sad, and I'm the only person that can make myself happy, but I can't do that because I made you sad. You'll get it tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And verse number four, he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. So when the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he was crying. You know, a real man can admit when he cries, right? So he was crying when he wrote this letter. He was very upset. And this is the reason why he was upset. Because he wasn't sure how the church at Corinth was going to take this severe letter. Because they were involved in fornication. They were, involved, they were taking each other to court. And the Apostle Paul said, I need to straighten this out. So I'm going to write this letter. And so he's sitting there. He picked up his reed pen. And he started writing, and then he starts crying, he starts tearing up. And you can imagine at that point that the presence of God is all over him while he's writing that letter, the power of God's all over him. And he says, now he folds it up and he says, God, you know, sometimes when you come out of the anointing, you say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. So he might have come out of the anointing and thought, oh, wait a second, now, I can't believe I just wrote this letter. It's harsh, but it's anointed. But God, it's harsh, but it's anointed. But it's harsh, but it's anointed. Okay, in order for this letter to be a success, i got to send the right person to take this letter down to the church at Corinth. So the Apostle Paul knew that I can't get to you. I'm not going to deliver this letter myself. I need to find the right person that's going to deliver this letter with the right type of diplomacy that would actually bear this letter the same way that I would bear this letter if I were there myself. So in other words, he says, I've got to find somebody that has my own DNA. Someone say, my own DNA. You know, when you're doing something, you want it done right. You know what's the old saying? If you've got to do something, you've got to do it yourself. If you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself, right? Well, in the kingdom of God, you don't have to do it yourself if you find someone that's walking in the same spirit that you're walking in. All right. All right. Amen. Somebody that's walking in the same thing that you have. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 12, 17. 
in verse number 18. And Paul is going to talk about in this letter what Titus did. Do you feel like you're in Bible class tonight? Amen. Learning some stuff? Okay. That's the goal. That's the goal. So when Pastor Reed says, did he teach? You say, he taught. Okay. He says, in verse number 17, did I make gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? Answers no. I didn't make gain of you. Now, some pastors would do that, but it's not Paul. He says, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make gain of you? The answer is no. Walk not we in the same spirit. Now, there it is. Walk not we in the same steps. What is he talking about? This is idiomatic. He's basically saying that we walk together as one. In other words, he's saying that when I sent Titus to you, I had no concern that he was going to do the right thing. So now something happens. Titus goes down there, and I won't go you all the scriptures. I'll just tell you the story. You just believe it's there. If you want the scriptures, I'll give them to you after class. Titus, the Bible says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 13, is that he was very discouraged about going to the church at Corinth. He didn't want to go because he knew what Paul had written in that letter and he knew Paul and he knew that this was going to be a very, very harsh letter. And so Paul had to come to young Titus and he had to encourage him. He said, say, you know, Titus, this is, your, this is one of your first assignments. You need to go down there. Be encouraged. And the apostle Paul said that he boasted to Titus of the church at Corinth. Because here's the thing about a father. Even though the church may be off into certain things, he's not going to get down in the church. He's going to love the church. He's not going to say, I hate the church. I can't stand the church. You know when a church doesn't respect the pastor, you know what that tells me? What's the pastor saying about his own church? You see a bunch of people that don't respect the pastor. You know why I don't respect the pastor? Because they don't think the pastor respects them. There you go. I see a church that's excited about the pastor. You know what that tells me? That pastor must really love them. And so he boasted about the church at Corinth. He said, Titus, just go down there. It's going to be okay. I know God told me to tell you to go down. You go down there. And Titus said, okay, Paul, I'm going to go down there. So a year later, they didn't have Facebook and email back then. They didn't have Twitter. A year later, Titus comes back. They didn't have USPS, you know, next day delivery. (laughs) A year later, Titus comes back. And the Bible says that Titus refreshed Paul by his presence. Mm Mm-hmm. Before the, see, this is, this, is, this is the thing. You know, so many times in the church, we always want to get right to business. You know, the pastor sees the minister, it's like, tell me what happened. What happened? Don't you like me? Aren't you into me? All right. I, I, I want to give you business, but first, let's just be happy. To, I'm just happy to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you. You know what I mean? Do you know what that is? That shows father-son relationship. That I don't care how it went. I'm just happy to see you, Titus. Paul, I'm happy to see you too. Oh, let's talk. Okay, now let's talk about business. Do you see how that works? So when your pastor comes back here, you should be happy to see. How did it go in California, Pastor Reed? Is there anything I can do for you? Oh, we're so glad to see you. Oh, we miss you. Oh, 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 oh. Because that's showing fabric of the congregation, fabric of the pastor. Right? We're not not professionals. We're just doing the work of the Lord. You can go to church and people always prefer, how you doing? I'm doing great, brother. Okay, good to see you. How'd it go in that ministry? Good. How's the ministry? Good. All is well in my house. All is well. All is well. All is well. All is well. I'm just going to put a t-shirt on that says, all is well. Don't ask. Walking. All is well. You see, all is well. Ministry is great. Kids and the family are fine. You know, or you, good to see 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 you. Okay, I know you, good to, good to see you, right? Good to see you. Okay, right? We're not professionals. You should have some sincerity when you're with That's people, right? right? Yeah. 
your fabric. You're not in it. It shows you what you're in it for. So then after Titus did that, Paul said that not only was I refreshed by Titus, I was fresh, refreshed by the report that he gave. Yeah. Because when they did get to talking about business, Paul said, Titus, how'd it go? He said, Paul, it was a great success. They received your letter. And not only did they receive your letter, they started making the changes. And Paul said that that down spirit that he carried for a year. You know, sometimes pastors get down. Yeah. And the reason they're down is because they put their whole life into preaching yeah. and preaching. You know, it's not unusual for a pastor to preach something, do a whole series on a topic, a whole series on faith, and then a member come up and say, so what is faith anyway, pastor? Right. <laughs> right. It happens all the time. Yeah. It happens the all the time. Amen. And the pastor gets down and he's like, I just spent, Ten hours putting together one sermon on faith. I prayed for three hours in the Spirit and I tried to tell you what it was and you're asking me, what is faith? My God. How we So you know what happens? Is when people are like that, you can never teach past the foundation no. and go on to revelation because yeah. nobody can get the foundation. Yeah, right. And you know, the, this is powerful. The authority is not in the foundation. The authority is in the revelation. Yeah. And when a church yeah. cannot get the foundation yeah. down, they can't and move on to Revelation. So you know what you never see? You see a good Sunday school church, but you don't see an apostolic and prophetic church because you can't get the foundation down to move on to the Revelation to what God is speaking up. And so when you tie your pastor up, he's like, are we ever going to move forward in this onto greater things? Now watch this. Watch this. Who do you think should be teaching the foundation in a church? The pastor or the appointed elders? The appointed elders should be teaching him because the pastor is supposed to be with the Lord and the appointed elders should have mastered the foundation things. They should be mastering. Well, what is the doctrine of baptism? We don't have to find pastor. I can tell you what the doctrine of Look, this is the doctrine of baptism. This is a resurrection of death. Well, you say, well, we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me show you why you should believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And you can do that all in your presbytery and the pastor is getting the revelation. Did it fall off? Oh, you're here. Look at the smallest microphone I ever had right here. That was the devil that knocked that off. He don't want, he don't want none of y'all hearing this. Are you hearing me? So pastor gets discouraged. So when Titus came back, Paul said, I'm excited. Why? Because they received it and they're making the corrections. And you know what it made Paul want to do? Write another letter. They liked it? Yeah. Well, I'm going to write them another letter. I'm going to tell them I'm going to say, I love them. I'm going to say, yeah. Remember that letter? I, let me tell you what happened. I was crying and everything. I said, I'm just glad it went well. But Paul was following up on something. Because in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians, now watch this. This is so powerful. You know, sometimes we see big leaders and you say, who are they submitting to? Who is, who is, Paul, who is Paul submitting to? Was Paul just walking around like, I'm, I'm Paul, remember? I call the shots. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that in the beginning of every week, lay aside that which every man is able. Because he was taking up an offering to the church of Jerusalem because there was great persecution there. Who told him to do that? James. Galatians chapter 2. He says, remember the poor, Paul. Paul says, the same I was forward to do. So you know what Paul was doing? He said, you know what? I remember the poor Jerusalem because I submit to James. 
I'm going to do what James tells me to do. Why? James was a half-brother of Jesus. Came out of the womb of Mary. I'm going to submit to James. And James respected Paul. It was an apostolic delegation that was going on, and they were a presbytery that submitted to one another. So you know what Paul was doing? He, exactly, you know when he wrote the book of Romans? He was writing this as a fundraising letter. When you get to the 15th chapter, you'll find out that the reason that he introduced his doctrine to the Church of Rome is because they had lots of money in that church, and he wanted that money to go to Jerusalem to help the saints there because that was where the greatest persecution was going on at that time. So he was trying to get them to know his doctrine so they can trust him with money to take the church to Jerusalem. And Paul had to go get that offering in 1 Corinthians. And the way he said he was going to get it was, before I get there, I want you to all lay up that offering before I even get there. I don't want to see it. I don't want it to touch my pocket. I'm not even going to ask you how much it is. I'm just going to go there and pick the offering up. But in that year, Paul had a change of mind. He said, you know what? I'm, this is all in. I'm not going to take you through all the scriptures because I have a couple more things to tell you. I could slow the wheels up and give you all the scriptures, or I could show you a couple more things. I'm just going to show you more. Okay, 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 okay. all right. That's it, it. She said it. If he asked me why I didn't give the scriptures. Okay, I'm just teasing. <laughs> so Paul says, I got a better idea. I'm not coming this time to pick up the offering. You know, because sometimes when ministers handle money, people, does it ever get into the right place? Not saying it doesn't, but it just looks suspicious. Mm-hmm. And Paul says that we, you know, think about doing what God calls us to do ahead of time. So he was thinking ahead of time, how can I get this offering to Jerusalem without having to go myself and get it? But guess what? He had to send a representative. And the Bible said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that Titus was forward to do it. This is a very special Greek word now because what it means is that Titus heard Paul talking about how he had to go get that offering. And Paul didn't want to do it, but he wasn't hasty in making the decision. And guess what Titus was forward to do, which means he was thinking about it ahead of time, like, I hope he asked me to get it. I want to go back there. I enjoyed being at Corinth. See, last time he didn't want to go get it. But he was so warmed by the Corinthian church that now he was like, you know, they had good food, they had good fun, they had good fellowship. They, yeah, they received me, they honored me. It was a good time, a good visit. I could use a vacation down there in Greece. He was hoping Paul would pick him. And there was no doubt in Paul's mind. He said, Titus, guess what? I got another assignment for you. I want you to go pick up that offering. People don't know this about Titus. They think Titus, he went and set up a church of Crete. Well, Paul set the church up and he put Titus over it as an apostolic delegate, not as a pastor. We think sometimes that every ministry has to be pastor. There's apostolic delegates. They later turned into their own pioneers and did apostolic works other places. And so Titus went down there. And this is what I want you to see. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Are you learning something tonight? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Is it 2 Corinthians 8? I think it is. Oh, yes. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm in 1 Corinthians. It's probably an issue. Okay. 2 Corinthians 8. Okay. So this is everything I laid out is for 2 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 8. Wherefore, any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Our brethren be inquired of they and their... Me- okay, so he sent two other people with Titus. I didn't tell you this. Are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. And look what he says here. Wherefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Now watch this. This is what Paul said. 
Let me give you the Chris Palmer version of what this is. Okay, the, par the Chris Palmer, the new international Palmer version. Okay. <laughs> this is what he said. He said to the church at Corinth, I've been boasting about you to the churches in Macedonia. Macedonia is now modern-day Bulgaria. You see, it's Upper Greece and Bulgaria. And you see Ahia, which is where Corinth, the region where Corinth was. Corinth is down there at the very bottom of Greece. It's actually the little, the little glove part down there. That's where it's at. He said, I've been boasting about this church to the churches to the north. And he said, when they come down there, I want them to be received so well by you that the churches of the north will know why I boast about you. And this is what he said. When I sent to you Titus and the two other brethren, you take the very, very, very best care of them. Why? He said, because in the Greek it says, they are a reflection of God and they are an honor to God. Christ. Amen. Not an honor to me. An honor to Christ. That would be like if Jesus looked at him and says, You have honored me. Titus, you have honored me. And you say, But Chris, he was just an offering picker upper. He was just a letter bearer. He wasn't. Do you see him leading people to Jesus? That wasn't recorded. Do you see him doing miracles? Wasn't recorded. What were they doing? They were carrying letters. They were burying offerings. They were picking up offerings. They were taking it long miles. They were doing all this for the kingdom. And you know what Jesus would say to them? You honor me when you pick up an offering. You honor me when you carry a letter. You honor me as a middle boy. You hear that echo? That's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> so you say, well, what about me? It doesn't. If you hand out flyers, if you go paint the walls of the church, if you go knock things down, if God has told you to do that, and your pastor has asked you to do that, guess what? You are an honor to the Lord, yeah. and God's not going to forget your small service. All right. All right. He remembers it. Yeah. He remembers it. Yeah. Faithfulness. In the small things. I show up to church even when there's snow. I send my tithing even when I'm not there. I'm going to when Pastor gets here. I notice that his, his gator shoes are getting a little bit old. I'm going to go. I got $200 there. I'm going to go buy him some new shoes. I'm going to. I notice that the machines. I'm going to go donate equipment. I'm going to be a blessing. You know what God says? They honor me down they love me they're giving with their finances they're making pledges to the building I'm going to take that church places and I'm going to do great things with that band of people why? he says because they may not have everything they're praying for but you know what they have? good fabric you know what Paul had? people with good fabric are you here tonight? amen, amen, amen okay, okay I got some time I'm in good time I'm in good time, right? okay, okay 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Someone say a courier. Someone say a mailboy. Say, I will do what God tells me to do because I'm going to be an honor to God. You know, if you ask, say, how did you get your start in ministry, Chris? See, I don't mind putting pictures up of being in beautiful Italy because I remember when I was scrubbing toilets. I remember when I got my first start in ministry. I was going to the church I was going to, and I was there late at night after the job, and I was in the sanctuary with the lights turned off, and I was scrubbing chairs. And I paid for my own money to buy the toothbrushes to do it. 
Nobody was around, but I was praying in the Holy Ghost. And God was exalting me. I remember, I could just go on and on with things that I remember. It's just my heart. I wanted to serve God. I didn't have any place to preach. I just and they spoke 37 times in a couple of days. I'm going to the islands to preach for three weeks. People say, why do you get sent to all these beautiful places? I don't know, and I don't care to know why. I'm going to go, though. I said, people need their Jesus there, too, okay? Who's more valuable, the person in the islands or the person in, you know, Zimbabwe? Jesus needs everywhere. Asia, whatever. My God. I can preach in one hand and, and have, you know, a uh, virgin strawberry daiquiri in the other hand. Amen. I had to say virgin there, y'all. I think I was some type of sinner. <laughs> now we come to 2 Timothy, which is one of my favorite books of the whole Bible. You say, why do you like the instructions? Well, it's a very gloomy, dreary letter. Because this is the last... You say, well, that's the word of God. Well, it's the condition of the letter. It's the voice of the letters. And you know, in the Greek, we lose something in the English. It's called aspect. And it's called voice. We don't have, we don't have it in English. We have it in Greek. And the voice and the aspect of Second Timothy is somebody who's alone. It's somebody who's by himself. And it's somebody that's preparing to die. This is Paul's second imprisonment. It's about four, three, four, five years after his first imprisonment. That's why I believe Paul went on a fourth missionary journey. Some say, we know he went on three and he ended up in prison. I believe he went on a fourth because he ended up back in prison. He wasn't just sitting on his hands playing Xbox after that. He ended up in Rome. And I personally believe he went back to Ephesus. And when he was back in Ephesus, they chained him up. Because in verse number 17, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says in verse number 18, that there was a guy named Onesiphorus, and he was visiting Paul in Ephesus. So look what it says here. Verse number 16, The Lord gave mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and he found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Now here's the thing about Ornus of Forest. A very, very powerful, unsung hero of the gospel. And Paul is not reckoning him for any type of spiritual gift or any type of demonstration of power. And we need those things, and that's powerful. But you can't just build a church on gifts alone. There has to be fabric in the people. Absolutely. And this is what he says about Onesiphorus. One thing we know is that Onesiphorus was ministering to him at Ephesus. And so, after Paul's first imprisonment, Onesiphorus and him, we don't know, history doesn't tell it to us, somehow they hooked up in Ephesus, and Onesiphorus became his sidekick. And he was consistently ministering to Paul. Paul, what can I do for you? Paul, how can I help you? Paul, you've been through so much. Tell me about this. Tell me about that. Let me minister for you. And then it says... Our history tells us that the Apostle Paul, he was chained up another time. And he was taken to Rome. And while he was in those chains in Ephesus, this is when he was being ministered to by Nisiphorus. Now watch this. He ends up going to Rome. And everybody knows where Paul's at. He's in the carcer in Rome. It was a dreary, drippy, gusty, windy, 
cold place. And here's the thing. You'll see in the last chapter of 2 Timothy, he doesn't have a cloak. He doesn't have his parchment. He's doing his best to cover himself so that he can stay warm there in that prison. And he's looking for Timothy. And he's trying for Timothy to get there quickly. And I believe that he wanted Timothy to get there as quick as he could, not because he had any more instruction for him, because he wrote him in the instructions. He's asking because he loved him so much, he wanted to see him one more time, which I find amazing because we see in Scripture, Paul said farewell to people and didn't mind it. And now he's looking for Timothy one one more time, Timothy, I want to say goodbye to you before I leave this life because I'm not going to see you until I get to the other side. Shows you the love that he had in his heart for people. Ministry is not supposed to be cold. If there's coldness in ministry, it's because there is no relationship to begin with. God wants this church to be warm. If you get into trouble, Ben's supposed to come looking for you. If you get into trouble, the sisters are supposed to come looking for you. We're all supposed to help each Amen. other. If you go to prison, I'm not going to send so I'm coming to visit you. There's supposed to be a camaraderie that cannot be broken. And this is what the love of Christ does. This is how they shall know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. That means when you're lost, I'm going to find you. And it doesn't matter skin color. It doesn't matter sex. There is no Greek. There is no Jew. There's just a new creation reality. I've got the Son of God in my heart. The day dawn has arisen inside of me. I've been born again. I've got the seal of the Spirit upon me. And I'm going to find you. You believe, Brother so so you know what they've been doing? That ain't love. Absolutely. So it says here that the mercy unto the house of Anisiphorus. So this is what I want to show you. It says that when he was in Rome, he sought me out diligently. Now, we don't know why Anisiphorus was in Rome. It could have been business. You know, he could have had some stocks to close, something like that, some deals. You know, I never know what he was doing on there. But he was in Rome. I believe that he was probably looking for Paul. But I can't prove it and say it as a fact tonight. But he was there in Rome Why Paul was in his second imprisonment. And the Bible says that he looked for him. Now the Greek is very specific about this. This is not just looking for something. You know, you may lose a piece of paper and say, you know, I can't find that. I had somebody give me some paper the other day. Or had, it showed me what website to go on. So I had to do some certain transaction. I lost it. You know, I said, look for I said, where's that piece of paper? Flipped over a couple of things on my desk and I can't find it. I'll just have to figure this out myself. What did I look for? Yeah, I looked for it. Yeah, I did. I looked for it. I looked, I looked for it. I did look for it. I, I, I looked for it on my desk. Couldn't find it. I later found it in the snow by my car. But I thought, okay. All right, didn't matter. I, did, I got out of it. But I did look for it. But this isn't the type of looking that would suffice when it's your brother or your sister. The Greek said, that it was to look and look with super abundance of looking. That means he was turning over every stone. Where is he? Where is he? Hey, I know this guy. He's a prisoner. Which is very interesting. Because the Apostle Paul said that when he got to Rome in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that he was an evildoer. Paul's case in 2 Timothy chapter 4 was a very important case. That's why when he got in prison, he got an immediate audience with the judge and nobody came there to defend him. He had nobody on his side. The only per He didn't even have a lawyer. He had to defend himself. He was smart enough he could do it, but he had to defend himself. And nobody was there to defend him. But why did he get that initial trial? Because his case was so important. Why? Because he was the leader. 
of a huge, in their eyes, pagan band that believed in cannibalism because that's what they thought the body and blood was. They believed in all sorts. Yeah, they, they thought Christians were cannibals because they were taking communion. They, this, is, this is Paul. He is a pagan. He is against Caesar. He's crazy. His case is not just some small guy. This is the guy that's turned the world upside down Acts chapter 17. And we got him. We're going to give him an audience. But they had policy. They, didn't just, they weren't a barbaric land. They weren't in Germania where they were just barbaric. They had to go through the trials. So Paul has time in Rome where he can contemplate his death. But there's a guy out there, little did he know, that was looking for him. And his name was Onesiphorus. Turning over every stone. It's the kind of look that you would have if you lost your keys and were late for work in the morning. You would be turning over couch cushions. You'd be looking on the TV. You'd be throwing clothes all over the place. Why? Because you can't get anywhere unless you find those keys. You are desperate. You could have to take a taxi, right? So you're looking for those keys. And this was what Onesiphorus was doing. He was the one that came to look for Paul. You know what this shows? Faithfulness. So when pastors going through a difficult time, pastors need prayer sometimes, are you going to be an Onesiphorus where you say, I'm going to pray for my pastor? I'm just praying for my pastor. I'm not going to leave when times get tough. You say, well, we're having a problem with the building. I'm not going to leave, pastor. You know what we're going to do? We're going to pray 10 minutes more. We're going to pray 30 minutes more. You know what pastor is looking for? People that will get here on time. People that will show up. Church starts at 7. I'm going to be there at 6.15. I need to set up the chairs. You better, oh, pastor, well, you don't have to be there. Yes, I need to be here this early because God told me to be here early. Hallelujah. You know why Michael Jordan was the very best NBA player? Because he was the first one in the gym. He was the last one to leave. When you look at churches that go the distance, it's sometimes not because they don't have prayer. It's because they have volunteers that says, you know what, I'm going to get there ahead of time. And I'm going to leave after everyone. I'm going to make sure everything's taken care of. I'm going to make sure this church is better when I leave it than when I found it. Yeah. Amen. That's the Inners of Force attitude. Someone say, I, I am faithful. faithful. Say, I I have good fabric. Have good Are you learning something tonight? Amen. It's okay. Yeah. You're learning some history and some practical application. Okay, I was supposed to teach you tonight. Okay. Okay, the last person I want to talk about. Go with me to um, Second Timothy chapter four. I think we're already there, right? In Second Timothy chapter four. Okay, Second Timothy chapter four, and verse number eight. Now. This is the last time that the Apostle Paul ever dipped his reed pen into black gall. That's the way they wrote back then. This will be his last, unless we don't have it, this is the last time. This is the last, you know, what's 22 minus 8? 14? No, what is it? 20, yeah, 14. The last 14 verses we're going to hear from Paul. And this is what he says. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not only me, but also them. Now this is very important. That love is appearing. That love is appearing. That love is second coming. So when you love his appearing, that means you reverence his appearing. That means you are living your life with the regards that Jesus is coming soon. You know, someone says, what do you think about the blood moons? You know what? Because there's all this talk about blood moons. You know what I told them? I don't need someone to tell me that there's blood moons for me to live my life expecting the second coming of Jesus. I know Jesus is coming. I don't need you to tell me, well, you better, this is just natural phenomenon. I don't need all that stuff. I know Jesus is coming. I wake up every day and know, you are coming, Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to live my life in fear that you could come at any moment. Yeah. 
You're not supposed to fear. Yes, you are. In reverent respect that the king is coming. That one day on CNN, they might have cameras on the Mount of Olives saying there's a shaking going on over there in Jerusalem. They look like something just landed there on the Mount of Olives. We don't know what it is. And we're waiting with bated breath. And out of it comes the incorruptible body that you have never seen from heaven. They try and point cannons at him and bullets cannot penetrate him. And you start to see that this is the resurrected Jesus. What are the Muslims and the Jews? What are all these people going to do? And that's when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord is Christ. Yes. And I live my life in regards to that day. But of course, you'll be with Christ. Yes. You're looking forward to that day. Yes. So I love His coming. But look what it says here. So, those that do me diligence come unto me shortly. And it's a very sad statement that Paul makes. Because he says, for Demas has forsaken me. The Greek word forsaken means this, that he has left Paul by himself in a set of circumstances. But it also means that he has calculated this decision ahead of time in his mind. When you calculate something, you are weighing it in the balance. You are looking at the pros and the cons. You're saying, should I buy the blue dress or the black dress? Well, the blue dress makes me look like this, and the black dress makes me look like that. I'm going to buy the black dress. You have calculated, and you've weighed it in the balance. And this is what Demas did when it came to Paul. Now, I won't take you back, but when we read Colossians chapter 4 and Philemon verse number 24, you will see that Demas greeted the house of Philemon. He was mentioned in those letters. In Paul's first imprisonment, there he was with Epaphras. There he was with Onemius. There he was with Tychicus. They were all together and they were comrades. And this is one of the only people that Paul let into his inner circle that forsook him. Now you'll find out that the Asians, when I say Asians, I don't mean Chinese, and I mean the people in Asia Minor, which were the, the Turks. Mm -hmm. They abandoned Paul as well. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1. But those were different because these weren't people that Paul let into his band. Okay. Demas forsook him. He hung with Demas. We don't know. It's still a little bit sketchy. We don't know exactly how close they were, but it was close enough where he mentioned him. And it says that Demas forsook him, and the Bible gives you the reason. It says that he loved this present world. Now that's very powerful. Because when Paul is getting ready to die, his mind has drifted up into heaven. He is thinking about his coronation. He's not down there. At, in verse number 9, he is not down there in the prison next to the guard that he was chained up for for 24 hours every single day. He wasn't paying attention to how cold he was. Where is my cloak? I need my parchment. He was thinking about the day when I see Jesus and he puts that crown on me and says, Well done, Paul. You withstood it. You suffered with me. Now welcome to my kingdom when we shall glory together. He was thinking about that, but something burst his vision and brought him back to reality, and that was Demas. Took him out of this ecstatical state, and he says, this is Demas' problem. I've been to heaven. I see how great it is. I see how powerful it is. How wonderful it is. But when I was up there, I thought about Demas. That he loved this world and he didn't know what he was waiting against. Because when Demas came to Rome, 
the very first time he came to see Paul. He was a, a Greek from Thessalonica. He probably met Paul in Acts chapter 17 when Paul had his ministry in Thessalonica and he was run out and had to go to Berea. That's where he probably met him. And he was young and he was magnetized. This is Paul. This is him. I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Paul. He was one of the ministry groupies that showed up to every Paul's conference. I mean, he had Paul's trading cards, t-shirts, everything. He was working Paul's bookstore. He was looking for Paul. So he went to Rome when he saw Paul. I could find Paul. He's in prison. He's there for a while. I'm going to go get some. And so Paul brought him under his tutelage. But this is what happened. His fabric was wrong. Yeah. See, when I meet people that are enthusiastic, I tell people, give them the test of time. Because time proves all fabric. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's a certain shoe store I go buy shoes at. I stopped buying shoes there because it's a matter of time. That fabric wore out. I walked in there the other day and said, you want some shoes? I said, you know, your shoes always come untied. What do you mean? I said, I bought four or five pairs of your shoes over time, and they always are untied. I don't want none of your shoes unless I have time every five minutes. They say, well, I said, the fabric over time wears out. That was what Demas was made out of. And he said he loved this prayer. So what happened? He got to Rome. And I can just picture him making his grand entrance. See, in Thessalonica, I've been there. They don't have a Colosseum. Thessalonica wasn't the imperial power of the whole world. All roads didn't lead to Thessalonica. They led to Rome. When he got there, he saw the lavish music. He saw all of, you know, the acting and the plays that were going on. A whole world of art and music opened up to him. And he got bit by what I call today the Hollywood bug. I want to be a superstar Hollywood person. You know, everybody wants to go to Hollywood and pastor now. Why do they want to go to Hollywood and pastor? God, didn't call, God called me to Hollywood. I'm going to go to Hollywood and pastor. Everybody is signing up for Hollywood to go pastor that. You know what? I believe God calls some people to Hollywood. You know what? God knows why you want to reach celebrities. I watched the Oscars the other day and I said, well, if we're reaching celebrities, I don't know. You shouldn't judge people like that. Well, what did you think? So he got bit by the Hollywood bug. And so he would go visit Paul and visit Paul and visit Paul. But what's interesting is that in Colossians, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. Lightfoot, who was a commentator in the late 1800s, makes a note of this, and he says this. This was a very significant lack of, attri of attribution. The very fact that he did not put anything in front of Demas' name was reason enough to believe that Paul saw his fabric wearing away. He said, the beloved physician Luke and Demas. That was a mark. Mark this guy. I can see the glitz and glamour in his eyes. I can see that when he's not with me, he's probably somewhere there in Rome, allowing his fabric to melt away. And then five years after he was let out of his first imprisonment, he is writing his second imprisonment, and he's not even asking for Demas because he said Demas has gone back to Thessalonica and he has loved this world more than the coming of his appearance. But the problem is this, because his eyes were so struck on what he saw in Rome, he could never see the kingdom that he waited against. How does Apostle Paul respond to this? His vision 
of being in, I suppose he could have maybe just slipped out of his body and went to heaven in that moment because he was literally there. I mean, he was up there. He was seeing it. Now he's back thinking about demons. Are you saying he was there bodily? I don't know if he was there. I know Paul slipped into visions and trances. It's very possible he was. This was a very important moment in his life. But he comes back, and then he remembers Alexander the coppersmith, who was the person in Ephesus that did him wrong. So now he's, he's thinking about the people, not only that did him right, he's thinking about the people that did him wrong. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to see what kind of fabric Paul was made out of. Look what he says here. The Lord will reward him according to his works. But watch this. He says of whom, verse number 15, of whom thou, where also? For he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it not be laid to their charge. You know what this is saying in the Greek? It's saying the exact same thing that Stephen said when he was being stoned by the Pharisees. You know what Stephen said? God, don't charge it to their account. Forgive them. So here's the question for any intelligent thinker. Where did Paul get that line from? He stole it from Stephen when he saw Stephen. You don't think... So here's the thing. Why did Paul see Stephen die? And why did Jesus appear to Paul after Stephen's death? Because when God was observing Paul, something about Stephen's death left a mark in the Apostle Paul and opened up Paul's heart to have that encounter with Jesus. Because there was something about Stephen faithful faithful, honorable, just Stephen, a man full of faith and a man full of the Holy Ghost, that even in his death, he looked up into heaven and says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he went down and those rocks began to pelt him against his head that the last one smashed in his cranium, completely put him out. That left a mark on Paul. He said, Who is this Jesus? It's not recorded. But there's no doubt that after that encounter, Paul wanted to meet the Jesus that Stephen had died for. And that's why God came to him, because he said, look at Paul's heart. He just doesn't know. But if he sees a clue and a hint of me, he wants to find out more. You know why some people don't get healed? Is because when they see the healing power of God moving inside of a service, they're not curious about it. They don't want to know more about it. They're not asking to receive. Oh, that's fake. That's phony. But you know when a person gets healed, like the testimony I shared, that girl says, really? You mean I should go to the Pentecostal church? And something about walking into that church testified to her heart, you need to get baptized. And there was a hope that remained. And when she got baptized, she received her healing. Why? Because... There was spiritual curiosity that was demanding more. And this is the case with the Apostle Paul. So I believe this, that many times the miracle power of God, the results that you have in your life are a result of your fabric. Why do 
Why does the power of God go on one person and not the other person? Why does electricity go into metal but not wood? Why does the sun melt wax but not metal? The fabric of the thing that it is engaged to. That's why God gave you the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes along and He works your fabric. And if you want, He will make you into a conductor. He will make you into the thing that He wants you to be so you can receive the fullness of His blessing. Are you here tonight? Amen. So He said, Demas has forsaken me. He loved this present world more than He loved me. And we find Him in Thessalonica and we don't know what became of Demas. But we do know that Many people believe he was an apostate. I don't know if he's in heaven or not. I don't know. Wow. But I know this, that God has got a plan for the river to bring you into your next building phase. And during times like this, God wants to look at your fabric. You know, you know God, when he puts the vision in the man of God, yes. the people will start getting the vision. And the people that don't get the vision is because they can't receive the vision. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Because there's something in that won't allow them to receive it. The fabric is not in the right place to receive. So this is what God wants. He wants you to begin to allow the Spirit of God to develop in you that fabric of faithfulness. Because there's a lot of work to be done in the city of Detroit. There's a lot of work to be done in the river. There's a lot of work to be done in you. And you say, well, I don't have all these spiritual gifts. Huh? What about this and what about that? You know what? Just be faithful. Hallelujah. You'll find that one day you're there passing off flyers. <laughs> here you go. Here you go. God says, I'm watching them. I'm watching them. And one day you're at your post thinking God forgot about you and something drops in you. And all of a sudden now you feel heat in your hand. You've got a gift of healing. You say, God, why do I got this gift of healing? And God says, oh, because you passed off flyers. You say, God, why all of a sudden, you know, do I have such discernment? And God says, I can trust you with discernment. Yes. That when you discern something, you know, you've been faithful. I see you giving words of encouragement to people. I know the love of your heart. See, many times people want a word of knowledge and a revelatory gift. But you know what? God's not going to increase the revelatory in your life beyond your ability to love and protect the person that you get a revelatory word for. Because guess what? You end up destroying that person. Yes. You know what, Brother so <laughs> I know what he's into. My God. He's destroying him. So guess what? He's concerned about your character. Yes. You have Archippus was a letter reader. You had Titus was a letter carrier. You had uh, Demas forsook this world. And you had Onesiphorus went and visited Paul in prison. All because they were faithful and there was one that wasn't. Amen. Who are you going to be tonight? Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. This is the third hand. I don't know about you, but when I read, uh, think about the Apostle Paul's life. Think about what he went through. I think about the sacrifice that he made for the sake of the gospel. It's not unusual that the Apostle Paul...